0: it's liana and jared we're here for week one of our best of and yes. we chose one of our favorites with dr Frederick um that we talk about narcissism and codependency and it's really like it's narcissism is such a buzzword right now
1: mm-hmm. well and like this episode i feel like was foundational for a lot of what we've talked about on the show like since then and like all kinds of things so it's a really good uh one to revisit for sure
0: yeah and it is one of our higher downloaded episodes so um i can't wait for you guys to either listen to it again or hear it for the first time i'm
1: looking looking forward to listening to it again to figure out like if if listeners can tell that i'm crushing on dr frederick like during the episode do you think that's going to be noticeable
0: So Jared and I actually had extensive conversation after recording this episode about if he should hit on Dr. Fedrick, (laughs) Dr. (laughs) Fedrick, if you're listening to this, I just hope you are. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well,
2: enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. We learn adaptive behaviors in childhood, um, for survival. And so maybe these individuals learned that in order to get the attention that I need or the esteem that I'm craving, I I do have to put on this mask and I have to be this over the top individual so that somebody might notice me. (laughs)
0: Welcome back to another episode. I'm Leanna.
1: I am Jared.
0: And this is Hello and Goodbye.
1: Hello and Goodbye.
0: what, what did I say?
1: No, you said that. I just was saying it again. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we have really a great episode for you guys today.
1: Yeah, our guests are just fucking They're hitting it fire. out of the park.
0: They're on fire and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. I feel, hon- I honestly like am just feel so honored that they would come on our show. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's very humbling. But we just interviewed with Dr. Fedrick, and, um, oh, man.
1: It was a good one. It was a deep one. It
0: was really deep. I think it's going to hit a lot of you guys to the core, so, like, be ready for it. Like, make sure, like, you're open to hearing what maybe... Um, you need to hear, I mean, Jared, Jared's face at one point, what, like, I can't, I don't even know, like, I really wish we had it on video. I don't even know how to explain your face. It was like, it was like a combination of like, like excitement, horror, horror. Yes. And like, almost like relief that someone like finally said what you've been trying to, Yeah. to, um. Verbalized.
1: she just like in very few words encapsulated like every relationship i've ever had (laughs) like like, every experience i've had of relationships basically like or just just this main repeating pattern for me that's been really difficult for me to deal with in my life so yeah Yeah, and it was like just like an insight and a breakthrough and i just was like holy shit yeah yeah
0: yeah i really wish we had that recorded on video but (laughs) oh well maybe it's supposed to be meant to be special um so we're gonna try and keep this intro short yep and so that you guys can enjoy the main interview um so should we start with the rating and reviewing
1: yes so we did our very first instagram live
0: yes okay so if you are not following us on social media you have to go to at hello and goodbye podcast because we did our first instagram live and we were in costume we're not going to tell you what it was because you have to go see it it was hilarious. We had so much fun. It's only like 13 minutes long. Yep. And I put the live on our feed so you can watch the whole thing. Yep. Um, and today we're going to announce our review winners, but on the live we also have honorable mentions and a couple funny ones plus some dancing moves.
1: Yeah. 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 You yeah. really were, you really nailed it with the floss. <laughs> I, was, I was a mess, but.
0: So you guys, Um. so... What I want to say about the reviewing and rating is, you know, Jared sent me this TED talk that's like, um, don't be afraid to ask for help.
1: Yeah, it's about the relationship between artists and creators and the people who consume their work. And it's it's a TED talk by a woman named Amanda Palmer. Um, It's a really fucking cool TED talk. uh, And I think about it all the time, like, and that's why it's important to me to like, buy the albums of people and merch and even like little ways you can support. What are you, what are you looking at me for?
0: (laughs) I just, I can cut this out if I want, but you like pirate stuff all the time. I'll pirate like
1: uh, like a Marvel movie. But like, no, like legitimately I can show you like my, like musical artists that I love that are like, Not super huge. Yeah, I like that. I like I pay for their stuff all the time. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) what were you going to say before you started taking shots at me?
0: So what I was going to say is, you know, I know that we have asked of you guys a lot of things. We had the Patreon account that then last week, we let you know, like, is cut for now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have sponsors that we talk about. If you want to go check out our sponsors, we're going to take a break from sponsors this episode. But if you want to check them out, In the previous episode, we talk about Tushy and VFresh and how you can support the podcast by supporting those businesses as well, because Mm -hmm. they're small businesses as well. Um, And honestly, the free thing that you can do to support us, so we are asking you for help, is to rate and review for us. Yeah. And if you have an iPhone or if you don't have an iPhone, but you know someone that has an iPhone... Please just take the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the more reviews we get, the more likely our show will be spotlighted. Um, our listener base will grow and it's just going to be a way for this podcast to continue to grow. And if you're enjoying this, like we're doing this free for Thank you. you and um and it
1: costs you money every month to well, yeah. host and produce yes. and do all the stuff yeah. yeah um
0: so and and that's not to make you guys feel bad i'm just saying what i would like from you is to leave <laughs> us a review
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you like the show, please leave
0: us a review or a five-star rating if you don't want to leave a review. Yes. So anyway, with that said, we are going to announce our review winners. Jared picked one. I picked one. And if you are the winner, you're going to DM us or send us an email, info at helloandgoodbyepodcast.com, and you are getting a free H&G mug. Whoop, whoop. Okay.
1: Okay, so our first five-star review winner is by uh, Vic Lev um and this review really like touched both of our hearts uh it says hey liana and jared first off thanks for coming into my life i have enjoyed your podcast from the very first episode your authenticity and honesty make the podcast so special liana sharing your life journey and your more religious conservative upbringing and providing details of your transformation and struggles is so valuable and relatable your vulnerability will allow for others to step forward and be more vocal about their life stories Jared, the episode on trauma. Wow, to hear a male talk about these topics, even though these are more progressive times, is always eye-opening and delightful. Being an NYC gal and listening to your podcast has exposed me to the Cali culture. I feel like I have friends I can visit on the West Coast. That is true. Uh to conclude, I want you guys to continue growing on the podcast and in your personal lives. Even though you always say you're not experts, you guys are experts at putting valuable content out there in the universe, as well as putting a smile on my face.
0: <sighs> that is just so beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I think it speaks to, like, we, we, we do this because we both have had lots of experience of, like, feeling shame and feeling mm-hmm. like there's something wrong with us and, like, being afraid to maybe talk about some of these things. Uh, and so, hopefully, by us talking about, like, all the ways we're fucking weird like
0: (laughs) and fucked up
1: yeah like other people can be like hey yeah me too yeah yeah
0: okay so um my review choice for the winner is captain a and it's called simply the greatest i have tried writing this review so many times but i can't find the words for how much i love this podcast and why it's kind of like a group therapy session jared and liana share real vulnerable parts of themselves and as a result i examine my own self and my beliefs and thoughts about whatever that episode is about i love how if you start with episode one and work through all the episodes in order you can see the growth in liana and jared and in the direction of the podcast so excited to see what comes next each week will i laugh will i cry probably both and then the heart symbol
1: oh that's so great. so beautiful. So thank you to both of those listeners, and they can hit us up, and we will send them our free, their free hello and goodbye mugs.
0: Yes, and I'm just gonna. I just want to say one more personal favorite.
1: Please.
0: Uh, the title is Five Stars, uh-huh. and it's just good one.
1: Good one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. salad. Yeah. So thank you guys. Um, thank you for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So let's do a quick update. I know we do have some recommendations for you guys today too.
1: Oh yeah. So yeah. my updated recommendation, uh, still not drinking. Um, I am reading the book from a listener recommendation called How to Quit Like a Woman. Oh! <laughs> and it's awesome.
0: Oh, I yeah, love Yeah, it's really,
1: that. really good. Um, and it kind of talks about how uh, sort of like oppressive and patriarchal our alcohol culture is, mm. and just kind of like, it's really interesting the way we treat alcohol different from any other drugs. Like, because so think about it like this, the author uses this great example of like, imagine with cocaine, if we were like, well, cocaine's fine and like most people can use it just fine, but like some people, because there's something wrong with them, become cocaine Mm. and it's like no 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 it's a fucking addictive substance Mm -hmm. and it's bad for you Mm -hmm. and like so stop like trying to say like it's a flaw in the person or whatever Mm. and it kind of confronts this whole idea that like you're either someone who drinks and like a normal person or you're like an alcoholic
2: Mm. like
1: you could just choose to be a person who doesn't ingest a carcinogenic neurotoxin Mm -hmm. regularly which is Mm -hmm. what alcohol is I don't know it's really cool and like to me the first chapter when the author is talking about like normally I'm used to hearing stories of like you know and then I was you know drinking five glasses of vodka in the morning before work and sneaking a bottle to the office with me you know it just becomes like it takes over but for this author it talks about how her like sort of anxious need to be successful at work and as a woman to like be skinny and attractive and the eating stuff that went with that and the alcohol and bad relationships all was just kind of in this messy cycle and whatever Mm. so how to quit like a woman is great i'm really enjoying it um other than that uh i am sort of slowly dipping my toe back into like Talking to people, so doing a little hinge and bumble. And I'm actually, I've been really proud of myself. I feel like you'd be proud of me, Liana. I'm
0: always Uh, proud of you.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, But I'm like being very slow and like, like, uh, like almost avoidant. (laughs) (laughs) But like, not in a bad way, but like, uh, oh, hey, like, you know, I've had, people who like want to go faster and I'm like, I'm not really interested in that right now. Like, you know, and so just kind of like doing it at my own pace, which is new for me because I, so normally I would jump right into Mm -hmm. like whatever the other person is Mm -hmm. like, whatever vibes they're giving off is like, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. You know,
0: I love that. So I think the work for you now, Mm -hmm. because I'm talking to you because I do the same thing. Yeah. Because I was kind of like this way with Zach too. Like he wanted to hang out. Like I we hung out on Saturday and then he was like, When can I see you again? And I was like, Well, I could come tomorrow. And so we hung out two days in a row. And then he's like, When can I see you again? And I would like purposely was like Thursday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and then after that was like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and actually now, right now we're at like a super healthy place where we see each other on the weekends yep. and then one day during the week. Oh, you know? Cool. Because he has homework and I'm trying to like well, it's really hard for me to carry Olive up and down the stairs, and Olive can't go upstairs yet. So, like, mm. I've just set this boundary. I'm like, you know what? I can't stay over at your place when you're not there in the morning. And so, and it feels really healthy. Like, yeah. it feels good. But anyway, not about me, <laughs> speaking of narcissism. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is, I think your work now is when you do find a connection. Yes, yeah,
1: so when I like someone, the, you, the switch like, doesn't flip. Yes, because yeah.
0: your trauma, right, is gonna mm-hmm. take, it. like you're not gonna be able to like necessarily stop it, it's gonna come in, Yeah. right? And so I think now what you should do is come up with coping methods when that happens of what you're gonna do, mm-hmm. maybe reach out to a friend, purposefully to be like okay I can't see this person for this many days yeah till I get back into my body yes right
1: yeah yeah Mm, that's Mm. really sage advice thank you
0: Mm, thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I like just just being exposed to our past few guests I Mm -hmm. feel like has really upped our upped our level of awareness
0: I really feel like it it's like I like one of the things that I really liked about that review Mm -hmm. is it talks about, and we talk about this on our Instagram live, but it talks about how, you know, she, I know she found us with one of the episodes and then she went back and slowly listened to all of them. Mm. And she was like, I, it's crazy how much you guys have grown like, from the beginning. And it's so true, because at the beginning of this podcast, like, you and I were talking about this, my goal was, like, I wanted to be, like, the stars, and, like, this podcast to be, like, Girls Gotta Eat, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, I had this whole thing in my mind, and it was mainly my show, and, like, I was posting all these sexy photos, and because it's, like, I I needed that in that moment. Like, I needed to embrace this, like, part of me that I wasn't ever allowed to do. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But then, what slowly happened, is, I mean, I met some amazing people, did this dating coaching program, and you've become such a valuable part of the show that it's just, I just feel like we've both like n- unpurposefully like evolved, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and obviously like we're not there. But yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But like, but this show has become so much of a different show than what I envisioned.
1: Yes. And, and we hope it's still fun, but it's more about just being real and honest and open.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and my friend Janae was saying, um, you know, like we do miss hearing like your crazy dating stories. Mm-hmm. And so we won't ever, that's not ever going to go away. Yeah. You know, but like we now have kind of found this new thing of like, we've kind of gotten to this circle of like therapists. Mm -hmm. and psychologists and people who do transformative work and yeah so i don't know it's just a kind of an interesting
1: yeah i think that's so cool yeah what's happening with you
0: um okay i'm obsessed with ariana grande's new album really (laughs) yes it's so good she is like a queen like i just i think ariana grande is so underrated like and i'm saying that because i've talk to so many people in my life about her and they're like, "Eh, I don't really listen to her music or like my best friend, Michelle, she's like, and like, you know, (laughs) but Ariana Grande is one of the only like really well-known like stars, female stars right now Mm -hmm. who can hit those high notes that Mariah Carey hit. Really? And nobody knows that because she's so like, like it's, it's not just, like, there in her music, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I feel like it's a little bit more prominent in this recent album that she put out. Mm-hmm. But um, I just... She's she's this tiny little human. Yeah. And her voice is fucking incredible.
1: That's so cool. And
0: I just feel like her music um, has just gotten better and better. You know, it used to be mm-hmm. super poppy. Because I think when you come into that... that uh meet that world yep. they try and be like well you're going to be this way yes and then you become well known and you're like well actually i want to be this way yep and so you know anyway that, you
1: know what's so cool about that i feel like there's something sort of very patriarchal about the music culture and like pop music culture and stuff because i had the same experience of with like lady gaga like 10 years ago I had, you know, there was, like, a couple big Gaga hits that have been on the radio. And I was like, oh, sure, like, typical, like, Britney Spears, like, overproduced, like, probably not talented, probably doesn't write her own music, Mm blah, blah, blah. And then she went on Howard Stern and just, like, sang acoustically, like, her, like, accompanying herself by piano. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit, she's so talented. Her voice is amazing. Mm -hmm. She actually writes her music. Like, all this stuff. And I think because, particularly for women artists, they have to fit the, like, Wear sexy clothes in the video and make like the pop song that's Mm going to play on radio all the time and like whatever. And like they almost have to make it first to then like get any kind kind of credibility or be the artist they want to be or whatever.
0: And I feel like they play the game well. Yes. I feel like women are really smart in that industry because they know if they play the game to this extent then they can really do what they want to do. Yeah. And um yeah, it's very but you're right, it's very that's very like uh only like females kind of struggle with that in the Yeah, industry. like men
1: are able to be like this is the kind of music I want to make yeah. so I'm going to make it. Yeah. And like they kind of instantly are sort of taken more seriously, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um okay, other than that,
1: You have healthy boundaries now, Zach, about (laughs) how often you're going to see each other. Yes. You're you're carrying Olive up and down the stairs. Uh,
0: Yes. Olive's doing better. Oh, Louie found a new home. Yay for Louie. So the little foster kitten that I had, he found a new home. And this has been the first week where I haven't had yoga. Um, And I did make the decision to push my Costa Rica retreat to another year out.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so they have, the retreat is still happening, but mm-hmm. they're just finding a different teacher. Yeah. I just didn't feel comfortable with um, being responsible for a group of people. If we came down with COVID in Costa Rica, we'd have to go to a Costa Rican hospital for 14 days and be quarantined. And uh, that just did not sound like something <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do. That didn't sound like a good time. Yeah. <clears throat> but, <laughs> I think that's a really healthy decision. You know, I've been having a lot of um, elbow tendinitis flare-ups and tricep flare-ups. And so this gives me the opportunity to change the, the type of material that I'm going to be teaching in a year uh, in 2022, March of 2022. So I will, you know, give out those dates specifically as soon as I know them. So you can sign up if you want. But it's just, I don't know, like just going on again from last week. Like I'm just really proud of myself that I I just, like, I didn't realize how much I was running myself dry.
1: Mm. Is that
0: the mm-hmm. phrase?
1: Running yourself into the ground? No. But dry is something. There's something about yeah, dry. Yeah, what is
0: it? Maybe, like, when you haven't had sex for it, a long is time? Is it,
1: like, the well is running dry or something like Should that? Should we Google this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love how you went to sexual with the word dry. <laughs> Because it also occurred to my mind too, but I was like, I'm not saying.
0: That. <laughs> running myself, go, spreading ragged. myself, spreading myself too thin. Yeah. that's one. Yep. Running myself ragged.
1: Yep, that's another one.
0: Anyway, you guys probably know.
1: Running on empty.
0: Running on empty, but no, there's literally no running dry. What? No, is there a running dry?
1: Like the well running dry, I think.
0: I'm go- Are you gonna I'm, Google I'm
1: running it. dry? Okay, I'm going to do it too.
0: Running myself dry. Running dry. I'm running dry with money. What does it mean to run dry? The phrase about not busy water till your river runs dry. Oh, river runs dry.
1: Oh, okay. A I, dry
0: run. A dry run is sexual.
1: No, a dry no, a dry <laughs> run is like <laughs> you like a test run. It would be like if you and I like were like, "Hey, let's set up the mics and do a Zoom Zen caster before we have our first guest." So
0: then, what's a sexual dry run?
1: That's I don't think there is a sexual dry run.
0: (laughs) Should we cut this out?
1: No, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not.
0: Um. Yeah, I can't. I can't really think of anything else that's big that's happening, and you know, I want you guys to enjoy this episode. Yes,
1: it's a great interview.
0: All right, go buy some tushies.
1: Yes. Okay. G- let's give people real quick like the code for VFresh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you guys want a tushie, yep. you're going to go to hellotushy.com/slash um, hello and goodbye. So that's 10% off any of your orders with tushie. So those are include bidets and towels and t shirts, merch, everything. Yes. And then if you want to support us through VFresh, Um, You're going to go to www.vfresh.com, V is V-E-E, and use all capital Hello2020, and you get 10% off any um, products that help with vaginal infections and-
1: Like UTI stuff and those kinds of things. UTI stuff, and
0: yeah.
1: So the the Hello2020 on VFresh is a promo code. Correct. And on Tushy, it's a URL. Correct. Lovely.
0: Oh, wow. You just really piece everything together so nicely. I try. You guys enjoy this interview. We'll see you after. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, our next guest is a licensed professional counselor and owns a private practice Evolve Counseling in Gilbert, Arizona. She has been providing counseling services for about 10 years and specializes in areas such as relationship issues, depression, anxiety, trauma, and general personal improvement. In addition to providing therapeutic services, she teaches psychology courses for Grand Canyon University. Please welcome Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yay, welcome! We're so happy to have you. Just quick editorial note, Leanna, that was a great.
0: Thank read. you. <laughs> uh, you should have seen
1: Liz. You should have seen how hard Leanna was focusing
0: on. <laughs> Good work. Thank you. I am. Uh, Self diagnosed and clinically diagnosed ADHD. And um, we have noticed that I have a hard time reading things
2: out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made it through.
0: Thank you. Well, we are so excited to have you. So we had Dave Glazer on our Last episode, and you also know Dr. Morgan. So, you and I connected through Instagram, yes. and I actually listened to your episode with um, Dave Glazer on his podcast, Believe, Be Real, Be Bold, and it was fantastic. Um, and I am so excited to talk about this topic that you specialize in, which is um, narcissism and codependency. So, First, I thought maybe just can you give our listeners a little bit of background information about how you got into your work and um, a little bit about where that's led you to where you are now?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So um I have, as as you so eloquently stated in my bio, been um, <laughs> providing uh, counseling services for about ten years. And when um, when I first started, I was working primarily with children and adolescents, and that was really um, my passion, and that's what drew me to psychology to begin with. and And really, my goal was um, I really wanted to get in there and help break the cycle. And that, you know, the cycle of dysfunctional relationships and intergenerational trauma. And as I started doing that, a lot of my work then resulted in doing more parent-child relationship work um, and, and still work with the, with the child. But I ended up pulling the parent in so often. And um, I know Morgan has talked with you guys um, about like attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And so the more I started to recognize in order to break the cycle, I've got to go to the parent because the parent is the one that's really dictating the environment and dictating the relational functioning with mm-hmm. uh, the children. And so over time, it has kind of evolved into um, working more with uh, individual adults and um, and then also doing a lot of relationship work. And so that's couples and families and just really recognizing that, you um, so often the work that I do in session, whether it's with an individual or uh, with a, rela- a couple or family, it often goes back to the relationship. And so that is where I have then kind of turned um, attachment theory was was the topic for my dissertation for my PhD. And I, I just really started to head that direction with relationships.
0: I love that you're also... Obsessed with attachment theory. (laughs) Um, And it's interesting because one of my questions to you today was going to be, how does narcissism and codependency relate to attachment theory? And I have my own thoughts on that, but let's like, let's hold that for a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And the episode, Jared, do you want to go?
1: Sure. So the, the burning question for me, Liz is, um, so how do I know whether or not I'm a narcissist?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> valid question. Um, it's been um, asserted that if if somebody asks if they are a narcissist, they are likely not, um, because a true narcissist would not actually consider that 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 might be a possibility. We all have the ability to you know demonstrate narcissistic qualities and have narcissistic tendencies, um, but to truly pathological narcissism, um, this individual lacks empathy and lacks any, any consideration or regard for the other individuals in their life. And so true, you know, narcissism in, in the diagnosable pathological way, um, that, that is not quite as common as you may have narcissistic tendencies, but so do the rest of us hmm
0: mm-hmm. that's such a great point can you um this may be a really dumb question but are there like specific people that you could point out as like, oh yeah, these people are narcissists.
2: <laughs> like um like celebrity politics, like you yeah, want me to give yeah, an yes, example? Yes. <laughs> well I think there's some very obvious uh, examples. <laughs> uh yes. Um we would definitely put Trump in the category of a narcissist. Um, yeah. A lot of celebrities uh, would also be in that category. But a narcissist, I mean, this is a mental condition wh- in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance. So they have this deep need for excessive attention and admiration. Um, it's often characterized by troubled relationships and, and demonstrating this lack of empathy for others. But as, what is really behind narcissism is this fragile sense of self? It's it's really low self esteem and insecurity, and so these behaviors that are you know this charismatic center of attention, grandiose, over the top behavior is often um, really this overcompensation to receive this attention and admiration that they don't truly believe they're worthy of. Mm.
1: Mm. Is it okay? This is maybe a weird metaphor, but to me, I I always conceptualize it like uh, like a person who has sort of like low self-worth or who is deeply wounded learns at some point to construct like this like costume around themselves and it has to be like really shiny and glitzy and, and you know, to like to, for other people even like love or accept them or whatever. And then anything that sort of threatens the shininess of the costume is like a problem.
2: Yes, Jared, that is... Perfect. I mean, you said it so well. That was an exact definition of that. Often this narcissism, um, the narcissistic tendencies develop um, in childhood. And research uh, really demonstrates it could be f- for one of two reasons. It could be um, that this child has been put on a pedestal and that they they're almost entitled and have been hmm. just overly esteemed in so many ways um, throughout childhood. That is, that is one option, but not usually the most common option. Um, the most common reason that somebody develops narcissistic tendencies is often emotional neglect. And so mm-hmm. this individual did not, they were not esteemed at all. They were not acknowledged. They were not given um, the nurture, the time, the attention that really we need in our most developmental um, stages in life. And so just as Jared stated, Um, that is then what happens is, is this individual has to find a way to cope with that. Um, a term I use in, in sessions often is the adaptive child and the adaptive child is that we, we learn adaptive behaviors in childhood, um, for survival. And so maybe these individuals learned that in order to get the attention that I need or the esteem that I'm craving, I, I do have to put on this mask and I have to be this over the top individual so that somebody might notice me.
1: Hmm. Mm. So I'm thinking for like our listeners, right? Cause a lot of our, our podcast revolves around dating and relationships. So like what are, I mean, cause you said earlier, a lot of people have narcissistic traits and we all can show up narcissistic in certain mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. But so like, what are some of the red flags we might look for? in terms of like family and friends, like, or, or, or even someone we're sort of meeting and and newly dating?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the first things that's important to keep in mind is that there are actual multiple types of narcissism. Um, different research really takes it anywhere from like three categories up to eight categories. Um, the three that I focus on the most is, um, grandiose, depressive, and covert. And so Um, grandiose is going to show up like that typical charismatic, um, confident, outgoing center of attention. Uh, the depressive narcissist is going to, um, show up more that still just as needy need really requiring that attention and the doting on. Um, but they're not over the top. They, they demonstrate depressive symptoms and then the covert, which is actually one of the most difficult when we're entering into a relationship Because the covert narcissist is often somebody in a helping profession, and so they might be the teacher, the pastor, the mental health therapist. I mean, they you know anything where they are they are deriving their value from um, really helping others, but it's not from this place of altruism, but rather when I help you, I feel valuable. I feel like um, that individual is put on a pedestal when they help others. Mm -hmm. And so knowing those that there are these different types is really important because it's really easy to say like, well, there's no way they could be a narcissist. They're, you know, they're a pastor they're a small group leader or whatever the case, but really the behaviors are um, this sense of self-importance and, and a disregard for other people's uh, feelings or desires, needs, and especially boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is also, there's a lot of manipulation and a lot of uh, gaslighting that takes place in these dynamics from all three of those different types of uh, narcissists.
0: So that was going to be one of my questions is, can you explain kind of gaslighting? Cause I know that I've used that term before and, Jared has been like, well, I don't think that's really gaslighting. And I'm, and I'm like, no, that is
2: gaslighting. Wait, was actually, Jared so- one gaslighting? Was that oh, movie? Maybe- oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs>
1: Leanna actually busted me appropriately for mansplaining gaslighting.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which has a particular
1: irony. If you're going to uh, mansplain no. any term.
0: That's <laughs> funny. Yeah,
2: so what, so what is gaslighting? So gaslighting mm-hmm. is any time that an individual is, um, attempting, to get you to second guess your reality, um, so this would be when you state how you're feeling or how you, your perspective of a situation, and that individual t- is essentially saying, "No, you're wrong. That that's not what happened. That's not how you feel. Or if you feel that way, it must be because." you're crazy or you're insecure or you have all your own issues. And so it's when an individual is attempting to get you to um, really question your truth and and what is your reality. Hmm.
1: Because they're trying to manipulate you into sort of uh, buying into their version of events.
2: You got it. That's exactly right. The example I give for relationships is when uh, maybe... The person with the codependent tendencies um, goes to the narcissist person with the narcissistic tendencies and says, um, you know, I really don't like it when you hang out with your your coworker, uh, let's say of the opposite sex or it could, you know, same sex, whatever somebody they might be attracted to. Um, I really don't like when you hang out with them late into the night. And the narcissist would respond to that by saying, you're crazy. Why would you even think that about me? How could you accuse me of that? Um, this is all about you being jealous and insecure. And so instead of receiving like, wow, okay, I, I understand that's making you uncomfortable and I want to do what I can to help you feel safe and comfortable um, in our relationship. Instead, um, the response is that, um you know, there is something wrong with the codependent. Mm -hmm. So are there
0: different levels of gaslighting? Because I feel like if you're talking with someone or in a relationship or whatever, and like I've had um, a situation before where I was like, hey, listen, like I really felt uncomfortable when you texted me this. And the response was you're overreacting that isn't that big of a deal. Is that like a form of gaslighting? Or is that just like a, someone who's just being an asshole?
2: Uh, we're gonna go with both on that. Um, that is <laughs> definitely an asshole thing to say, but that is also a form of gaslighting. Yeah, because, because the idea there was that your reality, your perspective was this crossed my boundary, this made me uncomfortable. And instead of that being received, it was instead, no, there's something wrong with you. You're too sensitive. You, whatever's wrong with you that you weren't able to receive it. That most certainly is a form of gaslighting. And to say, are there different levels? Certainly, because maybe that's on the lower end and you're able to say like, okay, well, you're just being an asshole versus somebody who's doing it intentionally. Um, This can get to the point where it's, you know, some people... We'll start to question what color the sky is. I mean, this can get really intense, that it um, really insidious. So, yeah, I would say that there are certainly different levels and 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 ways that's done.
0: I had another question while you we were talking and I totally forgot it. But I will say that when I asked that question that you just answered, Jared spit out whatever he had in his mouth. I,
1: No, that's not true. I was playing with like a little piece of fuzz and I threw it.
0: No, you, you, I saw spit come out of your mouth. Are okay, you wait, gaslighting yes. me? <laughs> I was going to say,
2: wait a minute. I think Leanna might be gaslighting you, Jared. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, oh, so, oh, I remember what my question was going to no. be. Um... Okay. So, oh yes. Okay. So if you're talking, if you're like having conversation with someone and you're like, Hey, listen, this thing, I I felt really uncomfortable when this thing happened and their response is that's ridiculous. You're overreacting. Do you think that is, while it is like a form of gaslighting, do you think it's because they're really like insecure and kind of hurt? And so the reaction, like they don't want to like they're too hurt to really be like, yeah, I fucked that up. And so they want to like, don't really want to think about that. And so then they're putting that back on you.
2: Yeah. And that's actually a really good point. And I talk about that a lot that um, often these narcissistic tendencies um, that I just described as like that adaptive child, we do have to keep in mind that these behaviors originated as a form of self-protection and as a way of getting really basic attachment needs met. And so, oftentimes in in these adult dynamics, when you know the gaslighting or the manipulation is used, well. It is, and it can be defined as both both gaslighting or manipulation. Often, the person doing it, I would say, more often than not, the person doing it is not doing it with malintent, but rather, as you're describing, um, they are feeling really scared about the direction of this conversation, or they're feeling really insecure or worried, or whatever their emotional response is. That they're just doing everything that in their power um, to make it go a different direction. And so, yes, I think you're exactly right. I would certainly not say um, that anytime somebody responded in that way, it's because they are, you know, intentionally being narcissistic, but rather this is their adaptive child coming up and they're saying, wait, no, no. Like if if I did something wrong, I'm defective. Something's wrong with me. Let me fix
0: this. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I I can see like, to me, it feels like maybe the difference is, you know, while any person might, you know, so for example, I've had people I've been dating because I have a lot of female friends. So I've had people sort of ask questions about that, you know, or Mm -hmm. say like, hey, you know, it does make me a little self-conscious that you have all these close relationships with these other women. And, and what I've tried to do is sort of, you know, listen and hear that out, and and do what I can to sort of reassure the person. You know, but it you know it, it, it stops short. I'm not going to like immediately volunteer to be like, okay, great, yeah, I'm going to cut all these people out of my life, right? right. And, and I think the difference is while, you know, while while any person might sort of two people might disagree on how. Uh, how, how, uh, bad, whatever the behavior is or, or whatever, or, or what the remedy might be. I wonder if the difference is the narcissist, like immediately kind of goes on the attack a little bit, either saying that didn't happen or your interpretation of events is due to some sort of flaw or defect in you. So like, so like, so like sure. a person could say, like, I hear you, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, like, I think that's kind of a common thing.
0: Yeah, but I think that's such a brush off. Like, I don't, I don't like that when someone says, I don't think that's that big of a deal because I feel like it's invalidating what you're feeling because
2: to that person, it is a big deal. Right. Mm. Right. And that's, that's exactly it. That even if you don't feel like it's a big deal in, in effective communication, Um, we still reflect and validate and receive what our partner is telling us. We're at least hearing it um, and Mm -hmm. ensuring that they're validated in that. And then you have that opportunity after to say, I I really want you to understand though, where I'm coming from with these relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and see if that makes a difference in how they feel. But ultimately at the end of the day, especially in a situation like that, I talk to my clients a lot about, Uh, the choice between acceptance and change. And if that individual you're dating um, expresses to you, your relationship with so many females makes me uncomfortable, and you respond and say, I hear you, I see you, I get it. However, these are my friends, and that's not going to change. In that moment, that individual has either the choice to accept that that's who you are and you're being very transparent about it, or they have the choice for change and they can decide to leave the relationship. Um, but that's, that is often, um, these situations turn into, you know, conflict and arguments when in fact focusing on what's within our circle of control is really all that we can do. Hmm. So I, I want to, you're so wise, by the way, every, every
0: every word you're saying, I'm like,
2: oh,
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't want to discount that. But I do want to move on to codependency. Um, I just sure. have one last question specifically about narcissism. Like me, Jared and I are both twos on the Enneagram and we have a lot of seven in us as well. And so we're both very empathetic people. And um, I think that we've given a lot of people the benefit of the doubt more than maybe, we should have Mm -hmm. because we have so much empathy. So like Mm. what, what is the amount of empathy you should have for someone who's narcissistic because the three of us are aware that it's really, it kind of is a mental illness, right? It's like a, something that they're dealing with. And like, when someone's sick, you want to be there to like help them. But it's also like, well, you don't want to get stepped on like how are narcissists meant to be alone? Like, what is the balance there?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. And absolutely not. They're not meant to be alone. They they do deserve a partner. And um, they do deserve to be loved and validated and esteemed, all those things that they're truly craving. Um, what I talk with people about is that if that individual with narcissistic tendencies is able to recognize their narcissistic ten- tendencies and they're able to um to have enough self awareness to see when it's coming up, and then can hear from their partner if their partner says, you know, in this moment I'm feeling really manipulated or I'm not feeling heard, and that that under other individual can receive that and and can acknowledge, um, okay, I, I'm you know they're heading into their adaptive child and and they have the ability to go a different direction. Um, then absolutely this relationship can work. I I always tell people that just because while there is so so much dysfunction and toxicity that can be found in a codependent narcissistic relationship, these relationships also really have the ability to thrive because of the attraction and um, really like balancing each other out. And so Mm -hmm. it's not at all that it can't work. But the person with the narcissistic tendencies has to have self-awareness and they have to have a desire to recognize when they're behaving that way and switch gears in order for this to be healthy.
0: Is there like a pill for a narcissist? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but um, often if if a narcissist narcissist is dealing with high levels of anxiety or depression, these behaviors will be a lot worse. So if yeah. they're able to balance yeah. out mental health, then it's Got usually it. they can re- they can be more self aware. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Just curious, like because I really want to get into the codependency thing, but is the typical relationship pattern like? for a narcissist, like everything's going great as long as they're sort of remaining on their pedestal and like their that kind of projected grandiose image is intact. And then there's conflict and, or, you know, like, well, and, and to remain there, they're using the manipulation and all mm-hmm. that. And then is, is the relationship pattern kind of, if they're not able to do what you just said, Liz, like, uh, they just kind of cut that person out. So there's a lot of kind of cut off in their relationships.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. If, if they, um, for somebody who is not able to recognize and have a willingness to change their behavior. So for somebody more towards the pathological narcissist, um, yes, if, if the codependent no longer fits the role, if they no longer keep them on the pedestal, if they no longer allow their boundaries to be violated, all of those things, yes, the narcissist will have no problem cutting bait and moving on to the next. Mm. Hmm.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about codependency. Um, what is codependency and how does that look in relationships?
2: Yeah, so codependency is such an interesting thing because our societal perspective of codependency is that the codependent is this really weak-minded, uh, dependent um, Meek individual, mm-hmm. and really often codependents are not that at all. They're often the ones that are they're they are controlling. Um, they are taking care of everyone. They're really running the show. And um, the other aspects of the codependent is that. Um, often perfectionism, people pleasing, uh, they make everyone else a priority and make themselves the lowest priority, but they're going to make sure you know that. Um, so this is a lot of resentment builds up about, uh, you know, when these fights start, they want to they ensure you know how much they take care of you and how much they are running the show. Um, and so the codependent often, you know, if we're going to talk about how we talked about how narcissism develops, codependency often develops if this individual was uh, parentified at a young age. So maybe if they were responsible for parents' emotions or taking care of siblings, um, and if they were put in this role of you know, caring for others early on, or also um, their needs were neglected a lot, and, and essentially they were told, you don't have the right to your wants or needs. Um, that's when a lot of these behaviors develop. Hmm. Does that make sense? That was a lot yes. of Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. We're, I think we're both thinking, I think we're both
2: codependent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I think that's, that's what comes to mind for me for codependency is like two people kind of in like the, the attachment is insecure in the way that it's like enmeshed. Like it's too, People's self-image are too caught up in each other.
2: Yes. Am I understanding that right? Yes. Such a good word. Um, Enmeshment is so frequently connected to these codependent behaviors. Often the child was enmeshed with a parent. Um, Maybe the parent was extremely controlling, dictated all their behaviors, but then simultaneously enmesh because the child was then responsible for the emotional caretaking of the parent. And then you're exactly right. That is what the individual then takes into the adult relationships as well. And that's where the controlling behaviors come in because they want that as insecure and unhealthy as it is. They want that enmeshment. They they feel like that is how they can feel safest in the relationship is if they are essentially tied to the hip. -hmm
1: so it's kind of like if I, if I'm in a relationship and 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 like a codependent would have a hard time with the ways in which like we are separate people of like if I mm-hmm. if I have my like bowling league on Wednesday mm-hmm. nights or something like that like they would either, want to become a part of the bowling league or have a problem with the bowling league?
2: You are. Yep. Nailed it. That's exactly right. Because in their mind, they need to be with you at all times in order to have enough control over the relationship so that you won't leave them. You won't find somebody else. You, you know, you won't put something as more of a priority. Um, And so, yeah, they'll do anything they can to ensure you're always together.
0: Interesting. Because because when I think about controlling, I think more about narcissistic. And so it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No,
2: that, that is really a good point. And, and they both absolutely control. Um, I would say the narcissist controls um, overtly, where the codependent often controls much more covertly.
0: Mm, interesting. So is it possible, and I'm going to be super open here, but I think I have tendencies of both. Mm-hmm. And, and if I think about, you know, my upbringing, and then my relationship with my ex husband, I think my my narcissistic tendencies are kind of what Jared was saying, like, it's a huge mask. It's like, um, I grew up like center of attention in my church, because my dad was a pastor. And I learned to kind of put this big bravado on And I enjoy being the center of attention and I enjoy, um, kind of like being in the spotlight. And, you know, one of the reasons why I did this podcast, like I like Mm -hmm. attention and yet underneath all of that, I'm such a sensitive person. My feelings get hurt super easy. I'm very loving and caring in my relationships. And when you really peel back like all of those onions, I'm just kind of this big, like Soft teddy bear, but no, very few people get to see that. So it's like, is it possible to have both of those? And I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this question.
2: No, you're right, though, that it is absolutely possible to have both. And we, almost all of us will demonstrate some qualities of each. It's just on a spectrum. So it just is to what extent, but you're, you're saying it exactly right. Um, and most narcissists are also codependent. And so that is, um, because that is where we bring in the difficulties with boundaries and, um, this, you know, the, 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 desire for esteem and control and all of those things. So you're exactly right. There is most certainly the ability to be both.
0: Okay. So here's where I want to bring attachment theory in, because I am very anxious, like very, very, very anxious. And I have tendencies of avoidance as well. So how does all of this play into attachment theory?
2: Well, so that would be like, um, ambivalent or fearful avoidant, um, that, that would be the term used for the individual that's demonstrating both and Mm -hmm. attachment comes in, um, it, it absolutely comes in with both the narcissist and the codependent because it is during these formative um, years that that we're deciding if people are safe, you know, and that's based on our interactions with our caregivers. And so are they warm and responsive? Are they neglectful? Are they scary and angry? Um, do we only get attention if we're performing? So even, you know, taking it back to the example that you gave, I wonder how much um in childhood, how much of your attention and and the value that your parents put on you had to do with, you know, you being this center of attention and, and active in church and that they were just so proud of you for all of those things, right? But mm. so then mm. you then learn, well, in order to feel valued or esteemed, I must perform. And so mm. that's all tied to attachment.
0: Oh wow. That's really mm. interesting. Jared, mm-hmm. what are your what are your
1: thoughts? Well, I'm curious. Like, um, uh, how does like avoidant attachment show up in these ways?
2: Um, so, avoidant, it, 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 we can't clearly say like the narcissistic narcissist is one and the codependent is the other. That's not sure. usually. It's it's often two separate things going on with this individual. Um, But avoidance comes up in both. So for the narcissist, avoidance is going to come up because as we mentioned, they're really quick to move on to the next relationship. Um, They don't usually want to let anyone get too close because then their true colors might show and someone might see behind the mask. And so Mm. a lot of avoidance comes up with the narcissist, I, um, but then also an anxious attachment style is going to come up because of all that insecurity. And then with the codependent, what often happens with the codependent, when they've grown up in this dynamic where they are so enmeshed with the parent or they are so responsible for taking care of everyone else, what often happens is this pendulum swing towards away from codependency and towards counterdependency. And Mm. so at this point, they're saying, okay, this is all too much. Fuck you all. I'm out. And that's where these avoidant tendencies come up of like, if I let anyone get too close to me, they're going to want to control me. They're going to want me to take care of them. They're going to be dependent on me. And so you can be codependent and still highly avoidant because when we go back to attachment theory, what you equate to an attachment or a relationship is that if I get too close to somebody, I am then responsible for them. And that's really overwhelming.
1: Liz, go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. We're over here dying. I wish you could see us. You guys, we've tried to zoom this call with our internet quality. You started saying those word words and Jared was like, like in shock. I got um, like
1: dizzy. Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> um, like, because this is what he's been trying to formulate for a long time now on uh, this podcast is like, why? Well, I don't want to speak for you. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: I know. I mean, I think, I think well, and uh, Dave, Dave sort of s- said some of this the other day, you know, cause he, he said something like, uh, it was, it was some sense. I got to go back and listen again, but like, as it, I think he said as a two, I, the fear I walk around with is that I'm going to be, it was like betrayed, possessed, overwhelmed. It was like Mm -hmm. something like that. And so as you were saying that Liz about, um, feeling like, uh, you know, you're going to be kind of overwhelmed with the other person's needs and it's going to turn into a responsibility and all that. Like, as you were talking, that struck so deep into my soul. I just like looked at Leanna and I was like, Oh,
0: no.
2: Well, because
0: you, the way that you said it was like on point with what he's been trying to formulate for so long. Yeah.
2: Well, um, maybe cause I'm living it with you, Jared, I'm right there. So <laughs> yes. This is a, um, definitely a self-discovery of my own.
1: Well, and, and I think what's, what's cool just to like throw another term into the mix here, because you know, you, you, we've said codependence, we've said counter-dependence and and so the healthy thing in the middle is interdependence, right? Correct.
2: Absolutely. And how,
1: how would we define that?
2: Yeah. So that is going back to your bowling example. That is that you get to go bowling and I'm going to go have drinks with a friend and that's okay. And I'll see you at home afterwards. That is this connection where you are you and I am me and we get to be we, but mm-hmm. two does not become one. I, I hate that that saying, that analogy that that makes me cringe so, so bad that, you know, we need to find this person to complete us or this other half of me. And that is not, you know, healthy attachment, healthy dependency is that um, you are very capable on your own and I am very capable on my own, but maybe we're, we're better Together and we we um, can support each other and we can um, you know have fun with each other and all these things. But I don't need you.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, I do want to move into a little bit of how depression and anxiety can show up because of well, not because of narcissism and codependency, but. And maybe you can clarify this for me, but how it maybe goes hand in hand?
2: Yeah. Um, and it certainly does. And so it's, you know, we can say what comes first, the chicken or the egg, in regard to um, these symptoms of anxiety or depression in an unhealthy relationship. Or, you know, is it this unhealthy relationship leading to those symptoms or is it these symptoms that, you know, contribute to the unhealthy relationship. And I would say it's all, it's all combined. And, um, but yes, when, you know, if you're feeling like your relationship is unstable, or that it's constantly on the rocks, or there's always issues, undoubtedly you're going to experience symptoms of anxiety and at times symptoms of depression. And this is feeling worried about what's going to happen or feeling sad about the state of the relationship. But then also when we're maybe experiencing those symptoms. um, So let's say you're not in a relationship, but you struggle with anxiety and depression and then you go into a relationship um, that is going to impact it as well. Because if you have anxious traits and then You're worried about, you know, what your partner is doing or you're worried about is this relationship going to work or if you have depressive traits and so maybe you're not able to be as present or as available to meet your partner's needs, um, that's also going to have an impact. So that was like kind of confusing, but it really is all intertwined.
1: Well, and I I think you just brought up a really interesting thing for me is like, because I've thought about this in more recent relationships with myself is like trying to find this balance of like when uh, like, so, so there, there there may be things that I need to bring up with my partner. Um, but then I also sometimes question myself and wonder, sometimes there's probably things that I just need to like self soothe because Mm -hmm. those are my issues. And if I'm kind of like asking my partner to, um, Uh, sort of solve all my anxieties and and some of them that are sort of from my own stuff. I don't know. I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I I haven't quite formulated this idea, but what, what does that bring to mind for you?
2: Yeah, no, that you're going exactly the right direction. Um, So many times we do rely on our partners to be, you know, our therapist and our um, consolas and our parent and our teacher and our, like all of these things that is maybe not, uh, realistic or healthy expectations of your partner. And you're right. In these relationships, a lot of times what I help individuals figure out is when they are being triggered by the behavior of their partner, just as you said, how much of that is mine? That's my trigger to work through. And how much of that is something my partner is actually doing? And that is a lot of the work that I do um, when I work with individuals. But still doing relationship work, but I'm working just with the individual. Is we spend a lot of time sorting through these core beliefs and um, how they what they believe about themselves and how they view themselves can be triggered by the partner, but that doesn't necessarily mean the partner did anything wrong. And so when we can increase our self awareness around what are our attachment triggers, um, what you know, what are our personal self-esteem triggers, all of those things, we can do a lot better of not projecting that onto our partner. What are some healthy ways
0: for partners with anxiety and depression when they're maybe having more intense episodes of that? Like other than like, you know, medication if they need it or seeing a therapist if they need it what are some other ways that they can communicate that toward their partner and receive, um, kind of empathy towards that, but also not burden the partner?
2: Yeah. And I, I think that's a good point because often in a healthy relationship, if somebody is experiencing an episode of, you know, increased anxiety or depression, um, in a healthy relationship that's often not received from the other partner as a burden, um, if, if it is not this constant thing and if, if it's not that they're seeking like, fix me, take care of me, I'm putting this all on you, um, but rather I just need you to be present for me. And what we most commonly see happen is that when somebody is experiencing a heightened episode of anxiety or depression this often becomes an attack on their partner. And so they're feeling so out of control in their body that they're then going to essentially pick a fight or they're going to create a situation in which they can release all of these overwhelming feelings onto their partner. And so that is, that obviously becomes really unhealthy and, and really not fair for anyone. And so if when experiencing that, that episode, if it can be brought to the other partner by saying this is what I'm going through. I was triggered. I'm having a hard time. Can you just be there for me versus I can't believe you didn't take out the trash again. You piece of shit, you know, like (laughs) definitely going to change the trajectory of how that goes. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I actually love the idea of that. Like self-awareness piece being key, you know, and, and what I've been thinking about as you've been talking, Liz is like, You know, I think for the, you know, like the work of the codependent in some ways, or or a person who sort of has those tendencies in relationships is to like, you know, do your own work to sort of tolerate those moments Mm -hmm. where the person's feeling a little separate or maybe because they're doing, you know, because they're telling you about their own independent thing that they have without you or this some need of theirs that got met by this other relationship in their life is to work on sort of tolerating that without seeing it as a threat.
2: Beautifully said. Yep. That's exactly it. It's this concept of distress tolerance. And so recognizing this situation makes me uncomfortable, but it is not inherently wrong. So what is going on in my body? Where is it coming from? And then what do I need And the what do I need can be maybe I just need my partner to reassure me on the way to bowling. Love you, babe. See you in a couple hours, you know, something like that. Um, But still being aware of my partner going bowling is not inherently wrong. This is my trigger. This is this is my struggle. And I've got to figure out a way to manage that. Hmm. Jared, are you trying to tell me that you really want to go bowling without me?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're smothering me, Leanna. Um, so, well, and I guess there's like, so my, my working theory about like, so like, what is the work of the narcissist to me? Because Dave mentioned in our last episode, uh, shadow work, right? And this idea of kind of being able to tolerate uh, maybe my partner or people in my life seeing me as less than perfect seeing my flaws seeing me when I'm not at my best or when I'm being kind of a, an asshole or, or whatever it, or it, like what would you like is am I on target here and, and like what would you add
0: to that
2: yeah and a lot of this would be like even inner child work and so hmm. when feeling triggered when feeling um overwhelmed or you know that we're checking in on where is this coming from what attachment need is being triggered for me um and so a lot of that inner child work is that that inner child didn't get those needs met they were neglected they were dismissed they were um berated for having needs and so recognizing that was my experience as a child um and so when my partner does anything that even closely resembles that, I am going to have a reaction. And so that is for both the narcissist and the codependent that they can recognize when, um, and and I commonly um, use what I just mentioned, the three W's of what's going on. So what is this response in my body? Where is it coming from? So what was the trigger? What was said, what was done, what was not said or done um, that's creating this, feeling in my body, and then the what do I need? And the what do I need at times is maybe you need that text or that reassurance or something from your partner, but also sometimes the what do I need is that I need to show up for my inner child and I need to use some logical self-talk and reassure myself that just because my partner didn't text doesn't mean he doesn't love me. He likely got caught up with something or maybe he's distracted and that's not a reflection of me.
0: I love that so much. I love that you ha- you put that in such a, a like a simple way for all of us. Because my my next question to you was going to be like all of these things, like the you know, like when my boyfriend does something that triggers me. You know, I'm definitely not perfect, and I have my moments, but I'm finally getting to the point where I can be like, okay, hold on, why is it triggering me? Mm -hmm. Um, what is it, what's coming up for me and then what is it that I need and how can I communicate that effectively without putting him on the defense or Mm -hmm. making him feel attacked? Right. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like not a lot of people even know how to get started with that, like even have the awareness, because it's something that takes, like, I know for me, it's taken years and years, and I'm like, still a mess, you know, so it's like, how do you even get started with finding that like self recognition?
2: Well, yes. And, you know, obviously, seeking help is from a professional is a great place to start. But I tell people even, you know, when I'm when I'm interviewing or doing articles that if if you can't, for whatever reason or choose not to reach out for help, that doesn't mean you can't start this process on your own. And one of the ways that you can do that is even by starting to track your physiological responses or your triggers. Um, Something that's really key that we must know in order for this to be effective is you must know where in your body um, gets reactive when you're feeling triggered. So if it's knots in your stomach, a lump in your throat, your body goes tingly, Whatever it is, that is the first step is that we have to recognize that that sensation in our body is actually linked to our amygdala, giving us a heads up that, um, you know, this is a perceived threat. We are now in a threat state. And so by knowing how your body specifically responds, you can then be a lot more aware of those those internal cues from, you know, whatever the external stimuli was. Mm,
0: I love that. I think I was listening to a podcast. I want to say with Amy Chan, um, who does like a breakup, um, like a retreat, like she works specifically with breakups. And she was saying, if I'm getting this correctly, like when you get a text or something that triggers you, like because your body has that kind of like visceral response, she recommended you go into the bathroom and you like shake your body out as hard as you can for like two minutes. Is there like, what do you think of that? Like, is that a good way to kind of like allow it to release from your body before you react?
2: Sure. And that would really, I mean, that really falls into the the third W of what do I need? And so for some people, yes, it might be shaking it out for other people. You could maybe use logical self-talk or you can, um, hold on to an ice cube or whatever it is, but but essentially what we're trying to do is, is the amygdala is designed, that's the emotion center of our brain, and it's designed to hold on to emotional memory. And so it stores all the sensory components of, of previous emotional experiences. When When the amygdala is triggered and those hormones and neurotransmitters are released, they're going to be released the same way, whether you are in true physical imminent danger or whether you didn't get the text back. They were they. It's released in the same way, and so at that moment, um, our our main objective is to get the pre- prefrontal cortex back online. And so as you're describing that shaking it out or um, whatever it is that we each have to discover for ourselves, but to get, send the message to our body that we are not actually in danger and to get the prefrontal cortex working again. So the shaking though, I mean, that's, that can totally work. Um, it's, it's essentially whatever works for you to reset.
1: Mm. And like, we're sort of talking around this, I know because you're certified in EMDR, right? So there's a big trauma piece here, which is like, I think a lot of what we're talking about.
2: Correct. Yes. Yeah. They're, and, and that is what these triggers are from is that um, we get triggered by unprocessed trauma. And a lot of our attachment wounds are, in fact, unprocessed trauma. Hmm. Do
0: you, Liz, do you do sessions online? <laughs>
2: <laughs> because I've been, well,
0: wanting, I've been wanting to do some EMDR work.
2: Um, I am only licensed in the state of Arizona. And so I do online. Yes, I do telehealth, but I only with um, Arizona residents. But um, through this whole pandemic situation, a lot of EMDR therapists have started to to use telehealth. So you could probably pretty easily find someone in your area that would be willing to do it through telehealth. Um, But I I swear by EMDR that it is, it truly is a life-changing uh, modality.
0: Yeah. And at, I mean, we've, we had a, we did a whole episode on trauma and like, you know, Jared very eloquently was talking about how, like, when you have, like you said, like, you don't get that tax back or whatever. Um, it I mean, you can't help the reaction that you get. It's like, it's in you. Yes. And Like it's like with, I've done years of talk therapy Mm -hmm. and I still get the same reaction Mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating. And so like without, let's say you don't do trauma therapy, like EMDR or something like that, will it ever leave you naturally or does it require like specific work?
2: There are ways that we can get it to to really decrease exponentially. Um, A lot of the cognitive behavioral therapy work that I do or trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy um, can be done in such a way where um, we start to build an evidence log to to refute the belief system that often triggers, creates that trigger. And so, yes, there are methods, but um, traditional talk therapy just when you're essentially going in talking about what happened and and you're just getting validated and then, okay, see you next week. Um, there's not a whole, whole lot of effectiveness in that, in, in my experience. And I don't, I'm not saying this for the whole field. I'm sure other people have different approaches. Um, but what I have noticed to be most effective, it has to be very intentional trauma work. And so it has to be focused on whatever that experience is, whether it's through CBT or EMDR. Um, But if you're using something that is more talk-based like CBT, then the client has to have homework and has to have very intentional activities that they're doing throughout the week in order to get these changes to stick. Because just putting it out Mm. in the air um, isn't really going to create, it isn't going to process it in the same way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I love about your three W's is because if you just stay in the brain, right, like, you know, like, reflecting on things and, and reasoning things out, like, you know, like you said, when you're in that triggered place, the prefrontal cortex is offline. So I love that, you know, your, your three W's and, and things like EMDR and, and other things are what really gets you into the body because yes. it feels like you need both.
2: Right, and that that is exactly it that um, as you're describing um, with the body, you know, feeling like it's outside of your control, it truly is because the body keeps the score. and so mm. that means that trauma is stored in your body. And mm. so when something and it is designed that way on purpose because we, we have to protect ourselves. And so the amygdala alerts us to, Hey, you've been here before. It didn't go well. So figure your shit out real quick. And, um, that is why the body responds that way, even when potentially it is not a true threat.
1: Hmm. Wow. Oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say I, my
0: second to last question, one is, can you please move to California? Well, <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I'll back to you on that. <laughs> um,
0: and then how can we kind of just circle this back around to like the original idea of narcissism and codependency? Well, I I have
1: a question that might get us there. Okay, yeah, because I think I was I was thinking the same yeah. thing. So I'm wondering: this can you like walk us through like? what like for people that you work with around these issues like can can you walk us through like the trajectory of of like a person who you know how do they show up to you and then through the work you do kind of like you know how things change
2: um one of the first things when somebody comes in is the first thing that we work on is um we have to be aware of, so it's the self-awareness piece. So we have to be aware of what are our, what are our triggers, um, knowing the physiological responses that you have to triggers. Um, and part of this is also recognizing what your role is in this relational dynamic. And so part of that is we have to stop the denial that is often taking place. We have to, and and the denial is often multifaceted. So we may be denying that there's even an issue in our current relationship. And so having to face that, but even more commonly what I see is the denial that there was anything Wrong during um, the formation of attachment, and so no, I had a great childhood. Everything was fine. My parents were so loving. Um, okay, so tell me more about how you, you know, had to pick your mom up off the floor after a fight with dad. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where is this denial of that there could be an issue? Um, and so, a big part of this is the self-reflection of figuring out. Um, it's what I call the your relational programming. And so, the way that we interact today in relationship is due to our programming from childhood. And so, that's a big part of this first step. Um, I can keep going, or if you want to jump in, let me know.
1: No, this is beautiful. Keep going. Yeah. please. Okay.
2: okay so that that first aspect is being aware. What is your role? Um, and then figuring out what what your programming is. And then we, we lead into um, what I brought up earlier in the episode about really this, this choice between change or acceptance. So you recognize that maybe you're in a toxic relationship. Maybe you're in a relationship with a narcissist. As I mentioned earlier, stay in the relationship all day, if that's what you so choose, but you have to recognize um, what is within your circle of control and how is this impacting your mental health? And so if you're choosing to be in relationship with a narcissist or a codependent, And there, you know, you both are seeking the help that you need, and you both are working on your triggers and your patterns of behavior, it can most certainly work. Um, But if one or the other is not willing to, at that point, it is crucial to either say, okay, I'm just going to accept them the way they are or this is no longer working for me and I, I have to move on now. And so really, I I have a big push on it in my social media and in my sessions. Um, Circle of control is one of my biggest focuses that what you can influence, you must. Um, otherwise, your only other option is acceptance. Mm, I, love I love that, that so
1: much. Um, <laughs> Uh, Liz, there's a a saying that I've heard around exactly what you just said. And I I say it to students a lot. um, And I just like love it. I think about it all the time, which is that uh, we can't change the people around us, but we can change the people around us.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yes. That's so well said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Well, Liz, I think
0: we're going to wrap this up because you have now spent an hour basically answering our
1: blowing our minds, blowing
0: our minds
1: (laughs) peering into the depths of our soul on
0: your Sunday. (laughs) And now you have so much packing to do to move to
2: California. (laughs) Yes. And now I'll go get started.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, please tell us where our listeners can find you.
2: Um, so my website is evolvecounselingaz.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at evolvecounselingaz. Um, and I'm pretty active there on Instagram. I make a lot of connections on there and I really try to create posts that, um, that emphasize a lot of even what we talked about today. So it's a lot of things to help increase self-awareness and just get people thinking.
0: Mm, I love that, and we do have Arizona listeners. So, yes. if you guys Beautiful. are are needing some some work done, yeah. Um, well, thank you again. This has been such a pleasure, and um, yeah, we just we are so appreciative of your time.
2: Thank you both. I really appreciate it as well. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, thank you again, Liz. If you guys want to follow her on Instagram, like she said, go to at Evolve Counseling AZ, and you can go check out all her stuff. And uh, and then just to kind of lead us out, make sure to go follow us on Instagram. Yep. At Hello and Goodbye Podcast, at underscore Leana Joan, at the Real Jared Rodriguez. You can visit our website www. Helloandgoodbyepodcast.com. Um, we do have a YouTube channel, so you can check that out. Mm-hmm. It's Hello and Goodbye Podcast. And uh, that's it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening and hit us up. Let's yeah. keep the conversation going.
0: Okay. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.